0: praise you. You are the God of the universe, and we get a chance to come and we meet with you. We can praise you and we can worship you. And I pray pray this morning, Lord, that you would reveal to all of us the reality of who you are, the fact that you are concerned about every detail of our lives, that nothing is beyond your concern. And Father, we have people that come from all different backgrounds and all different circumstances this week. Some are feeling a lot of faith. Some are feeling uh, angst. Some are feeling fear. Some are feeling confidence all over the place, Lord. But we know that, that all of that can be focused on who you are and the fact that whatever we're facing, you are greater. And I just pray that you'll give us that confidence today. And I pray, Lord, as we look at the Word of God, the living Word, that nothing in me would get in the way of what you want to say to us today and that we would leave today changed, because we've been here worshiping the living God and hearing from the living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We're abbreviating worship up front, and we'll do more worship at the end because we're having communion. Just uh, some directions on communion. You do not have to be a member of this church to participate in communion. Uh, That you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that is the, the... prerequisite and when we hand out the elements later we just ask that you hang on to them until all have been served and then we'll partake together miracles what is a miracle do miracles happen today a miracle is an event of supernatural intervention, an occurrence that can only be explained in terms of something or someone outside of ourselves. It's an outside, realm of under, outside the realm of understanding, outside of our power. It's, it's called divine intervention by some. And as we know, everyone, everyone has an opinion about miracles. Some believe they happen, some they don't. They, some have an opinion about what it is and what it is not. Many people today would describe themselves as spiritual. Whether or not they believe in a miracle, they're looking for the supernatural for answers. We see books like Harry Potter and movies like Lord of the Rings. These demonstrate a preoccupation with the supernatural realm. We have supernatural themes in our culture life after death, contact with the dead, immortality, contacting beings from other worlds, Star Wars or Star Trek. Where do these ideas come from? That's a question. Are miracles real? Is healing real? Does God heal only physically, or does He also heal mental illness? Those are the emotional and psychological problems. Is it God who heals, or is it the power resident in each human being released in us to heal ourselves? Our bodies do heal and repair themselves. You cut yourself or have an abrasion. Uh, We have surgery, then the body does heal. But what happens when we can no longer heal ourselves? When the medical solutions are gone and no doctor can help us? We run out of options, and can we expect a miracle? Well, the only true and accurate understanding of, of miracles comes from the ancient text that we call the Bible. Miracles are a dominant theme in the Bible. Accounts of God's intervention in the course of human events. And we see many of these accounts, especially in the New Testament, when it comes to the story of Jesus. Today, as we continue our series, Love Story in a World at War, we're going to look at an account of miracles. Really, two stories in one. Two stories in one. One is about a woman. The other is a preteen girl. Both of them are beyond help when Jesus steps into the picture. And I'd like to invite you to join them this morning as we look at Journey to a Miracle. Journey to a Miracle. We're going to look at Luke 8, starting with verse 40. Luke 8, starting with verse 40, it's on page 840, if you're looking for it in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Page 840, Luke 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus a ruler of the synagogue came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter a girl of about 12 was dying. As Jesus was on his way the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the cloak of his cloak the edge of his cloak and immediately Her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is a true story about two miracles, a woman and the father of a preteen, a 12-year-old daughter who is about to die, when Jesus steps in and supernaturally intervenes. It's about a miracle. Why did these miracles happen? And how did these miracles happen? What can we learn about miracles today? First of all, I want to look at the stages of a miracle. The stages of a miracle. The first stage is something called desperation desperation the first character Jairus had a 12 year old daughter who was dying and I'm sure that with his position of wealth and influence he had access to the the top medical care of the day but everything had failed up to this point and his daughter was near death in verse 41 it says he came and fell at Jesus feet pleading with him to come to his house we just hear the desperation of a parent trying to save his daughter desperation Jesus was his only hope his last chance Then we have the woman who kind of interrupts this story, the second character who had been ill for 12 years. In Mark 5, the passage, it says that she had been under the care of many doctors, and she'd spent all of her money, but instead of getting better, she only got worse. She was sick and she was broke. And this particular sickness, as it's described, also had social consequences. This made the woman ceremonial unclean, much like like lepers. She could not take part in worship at the temple. And she couldn't just go down to the, the church down the street. She was excommunicated from the temple because of this uncleanness. So she had no place to worship. And the whole center of Jewish society was the temple. She was likely also divorced from her husband by law of the rabbis. So she was shut out of family life ostracized by society, couldn't touch anyone, according to the Old Testament law in Leviticus 15. The reasons were hygienic, not punitive, but there was something in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish religion, that said, if you're sick and you don't get well and all this happens, then it's something that you did. It's your sin. It's your fault. Whoa. Desperation excommunicated from church, divorced from her husband, shut out of family life, ostracized by society, outcast, despised, reduced to poverty, and she's still, still very, very ill. Desperation. Desperation. Do we ever get to that point in our lives of desperation? When we realize we don't have the resources or abilities to cope with the issues we're dealing with. We need something or someone outside of ourselves. Our doctors or oncologists or nutritionists or scientists cannot help. The government can't help. A last chance. Well, desperation and realization of desperation is the beginning of the journey to a miracle. Desperation. The second stage is hope. Hope. Jairus evidently had hope. He, he demonstrated that by coming to Jesus for help. The woman says it heard about Jesus, so she worked her way into a place to intersect with Jesus. She was trying to make contact with Jesus. Hope is, is the beginning of faith. It's the beginning of faith. Hope may still have questions, but it's the beginning. It's the beginning. And, and wherever you are today, hope may be the beginning for you. You say, I don't know if Jesus is real. I don't know if I believe all this religious stuff. I, I don't know if I even believe miracles. Okay? I don't know if Jesus has the power. I don't know if Jesus cares enough to do anything for me. But I'm going to, because I have hope, I'm going to find a way to intersect with him. I'm going to place myself in a position to make contact with Jesus. I have my doubts. But I'm going to take the first steps to meet this Jesus. You know what? That's where all of us started. Every one of us started. At some point in our life, in our faith journey, we ask questions like, I don't know if this God thing is real. I'm not sure I'm the religious type, but I'm going to check it out because I have hope. There's something I want to check out. Hope. After hope comes, number three, faith. Faith. Faith is actually placing our trust in something or someone. Faith always has an object of faith. There's always something. Now, when you guys came in this morning, I watched some of you sit down, and I didn't. Most of you just came and sat down. I didn't see any of you checking out the thickness of the of the pew to make sure it was it was thick enough to hold you, or check the span between the um, the, the supports, and just to say, I, every, most everybody just came in and they just you just sat down. Okay, your faith was in the pew that it would hold you when you sat down. So you just came and you sat down. Faith always has an object. You believe that it would hold you, so you sat down. And, and your faith was in the pew or the object. Now, faith for Jairus and for this woman wasn't an abstract, ethereal, New Age reasoning or concept. Faith was placed in a person. The person was Jesus. He was a real person, a historical person who they walked on earth with. And they placed their faith in a person. Their faith had an object, Jesus. Jairus in the Mark 5 passage says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Faith, he said, Jesus can do that. I believe you can do that. The woman said, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. It's faith. Jesus can do that. So the next step towards a miracle, past desperation, past hope and faith, is to place our faith in Jesus, believing he has the power to, to affect a solution for us. Placing our faith in Jesus. And whether it's a physical problem, a disease or sickness. Or it's, maybe it's a relational problem. A marriage issue. Or a problem with kids. A problem with parents. Or a boss. Or a relative or a neighbor. Maybe it's financial challenges. Maybe it's a job issue. It can be any challenge that we face that we cannot solve. We place our faith in someone who can solve it. Desperation, hope, and faith in Jesus. Then we're well on our way to a miracle. The next part of the journey is action. So you have desperation, which is a need. This is, this is a process. This is a journey that takes time. Need, there's hope, there's faith, and then actually taking action on our faith to make contact with Jesus personally. Jairus went personally to Jesus and asked. He took the initiative, he took action based on the faith he had. He demonstrated that his faith was real by taking action to go to Jesus and asking him. Sometimes we live in this kind of passive environment we say, if God's will, if it be God's will, God will heal me. But in James five, it talks about healing in James five, 14 to 15, it says, is any of you, any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church. It's an initiative taken by the person who said, call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. It's an action we take. We initiate action. Based on our faith, we believe that Jesus can heal us and the word of God is true and what it says is right. And so I'm going to take action based on this. That's my faith, asking. The woman did the same thing. She took action. Now, it wasn't just any action. It was action of faith, believing that Jesus could and would heal her. Now, I I love this part of the story because Jesus is in the middle of this crowd. It says a crushing crowd. So uh, there, these were narrow streets with high buildings on the sides, jammed with people shopping and selling. It was as crowded as the Mall of America at Christmas Eve. Okay? Just crushes of people. You could hardly move through anything. You couldn't walk a straight line. It says he was in this crush of people. And Jesus stops and asks, who touched me? Who, t- who touched me? Now, when they all denied it, okay, Peter, who has never politically correct and always said what was on his mind and usually on the mind of everybody else too. He said, Master, the people are crowning and pressing against you. But Jesus said this. He said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. What was the difference between the touch of the crowd and the touch of the woman? All the people are crowning about bumping into Jesus and Nothing happened. Then this woman touched Jesus and something miraculous happened. Why? Desperation, hope, expectancy, and faith. This woman reached out in desperate need in hope of a cure faith that Jesus would give it. She reached out expecting something from God. Many of us place ourselves in situations where we come into contact with Jesus. For some, it's just routine. It's, it's another crowd. It's another church service. It's just another time of worship. And we experience no change, no power, no transformation, nothing. Just like the rest of the crowd around Jesus, it makes no difference. Why? No desperation, no needs. No hope, no faith, no expectancy, and absolutely no change. And some of us here this morning do not see our need. We don't see our desperate condition. And for many of us, it may be complacency or lukewarmness or a sense that we enjoy our life and that we're comfortable. And we continually come into contact with the living Son of God and go untouched, unmoved, unchanged for years. But there are others here this morning who have needs and know it. There's desperation and hope. And who by faith and action, I'm challenging you to place your faith in Jesus. See, it was not this woman's contact with the clothes of Jesus. It wasn't magical. It wasn't superstitious. Otherwise, we'd produce, market, and sell the clothes of Jesus so people could touch it and be healed. That's not what it was. This wasn't a formula and we can't formulaize a healing. It wasn't the clothes, it was her faith. She trusted in Jesus, the person. And Jesus knew the difference between the jostle of the curious crowd and the contact of a soul in need with faith. Can Jesus tell the difference? He can, he can tell the difference. The trust was in Jesus. This was not about external actions, it was about internal attitude, expectancy, and faith. What do you expect from Jesus? Do you have any expectancy that this Sunday is any different than the rest? When you get together, when you take private time with God and you read his word, do you have any expectancy? Is this just rote? Is it just, is it coming to church habit or is it something that you actually come and expect to meet with God and expect to be changed? Do you expect to be changed and transformed by Jesus? How do you touch Jesus today? It's not believing the right words are about the right formula. This woman did not even speak the word. The power was not in right words, formulas, or touching or clothes. The power is in the person of Jesus Christ. And faith releases that power. And all they had to do was reach out and ask or reach out and touch. After that, we have the answer healing. Instantaneous miraculous healing. Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. The woman, the bleeding stopped immediately. And Jesus can heal you instantaneously in a moment, and he does that. At other times, he may set you on the course to healing. We've seen the stages of a miracle. Now I want you to hear a story of a miracle. Sheila's going to read a story of a young woman named Carly, who lived and still lives in Seattle. And she's going to tell you Carly's story.
1: August 2003, I slipped and fell from water that was on the floor at the lab at my work. Chronic, dull, achy lower back pain resulted from this fall. This pain made it difficult to sit for more than 10 minutes at a time. Lumbar support was needed every time I sat, including in my home chair, my car, office chairs. And for a time, I used an exercise ball to sit on at work. I needed to learn to sleep on my back with a pillow under my knees every night. Before the injury, I, sat, I ran religiously for 10 years. This was cut out and replaced with low-impact exercises like yoga, Pilates, swimming, walking, and lots of rest. After almost two and a half years of various treatments, including chiropractors, multiple non-steroidal injections into the facet joints in my back, therapeutic massage, countless hours of physical therapy, acupuncture, and neurotomy, which gives the doctor going into my back, basically burning off some of my nerves so that I wouldn't feel pain, getting at a new desk at my office that raised and lowered so I could sit and stand at my desk when needed, Bowen therapy, many disappointing doctor's appointments, discussing treatment options, visits with a neuropathic doc- or naturopathic doctor, as well as reluctantly trying multiple pain and anti-inflammatory medications. Nothing worked. Some of the treatments relieved the pain for a short period of time, but nothing helped long-term. This was a long road, and I went through all the normal emotions, including... Frustration? Anger? Bitterness? Why me? And if only? And I just remember thinking, now, I know why people with chronic pain commit suicide. This thought never crossed my mind for my circumstance, but I understand how people just can't go on dealing with this chronic pain. Sometimes the pain would take over and I would feel like I was suffocating. Literally, I felt like I needed to gasp for air. It consumed my body at times. I can remember getting so tired of everyone offering their advice or telling me their pain stories that in my mind couldn't even relate to what I was dealing with. People were so kind, but everyone asking how I was was difficult because I hated having to admit that I wasn't okay. I was in pain, and it was really tough week. I also felt broken like a broken record because at every prayer meeting, every Bible study, and every service with an altar call, I was always asking for prayer for my back. Through all of this, I know many in this church and around the world were praying for me. So many were there for me and listened when I needed to vent or just cry. I know God didn't leave me, but it was a long process and realizing that I needed to place my hope in him. Hope in general is something that most people lose sight of when the treatment after treatment doesn't work. Doctors did not have the answers. I saw specialists all over the Puget Sound area, and every one of them would say, you are too young for this. You're active, you're not overweight, and we don't see a big problem with your MRIs or your x-rays. We just aren't sure why you're having all this pain. My husband and I got this response time after time. It was at this time, one year ago, May of 2005, that I was in Colorado with some girlfriends. They were having a celebration for one of whose marriage was healed. As we were talking and praying, we realized that each one of us had a major prayer request. Each of us was, all, was really going through some hard times. This was when a friend that I had just met at that party Melanie received words from the Lord for me and later emailed those thoughts so that I could continue to pray over these words from the Lord. She wrote, Carly, the Lord wants you to know how proud and happy he is with you. He wants you to know that the faith you've had in him has been a joy for him and that he delights in the faith that you have had in him. It has been a long and hard road for you and he is honored by your love in him in the midst of it. But he wants you to have hope. Hope is inspiration, and inspiration is about new things. All of those times, you were placing your hope in the cure and not in him. After this message, I really tried to focus my prayers and hope in him and not worldly cures. In fall and winter of 2005, I finally received some relief. The pain had decreased and become bearable. I was so encouraged. And this spurred my hope in Christ. However, early January 2006, without re-injuring my back, the pain came back. It was quite disappointing. I remember thinking, I cannot handle this another two and a half years. Well, later that month, in January 25th, 2006, Pastor Mark called me at work and told me that, about an exciting conference that was taking place all week in Everett. He really felt that I should go and be prayed over. I told him I'd think about it. Later that day, someone else from the church also called me and told me that I think it should think about going. So I decided to go. Since my husband was working, I decided to go up with the others from the church. Driving up, I was sitting in the back seat of the car. I remember being so uncomfortable. My back had really flared up that day. After arriving, we listened to the pastor that was visiting from England, David Carr. Pastor Carr spoke on healing and explained how he had the gift of healing and explained the different ways God had used him. It was a very powerful service. At the end, he asked all those who needed healing to come forward. Pastor Mark asked my friend Linda to go up with me. When it was my turn to be anointed and prayed over, I explained to Pastor Carr my situation. He laid hands on me, he prayed for me, and when he was done, Linda and I stayed at the front and prayed. We then slowly made our way back to our seats. Driving home that evening, I felt a different pain. My previous dull, achy, that achy back pain that normally filled my whole entire lower back was replaced with a soft, sharp pain focused just left of my lumbar spine. I felt God was continuing his work in my back. It wasn't an immediate healing. That night I got into bed and laid still with the pillow under my knees. I wasn't in pain laying there. I couldn't believe it. I just kept waking up throughout the night praising the Lord and so in awe that I did not have pain. However, I was too nervous to move, afraid I would feel that pain again. In the morning, I woke up and finally had the courage to move. I had no pain. I walked around pain-free. It was amazing I was weeping all over my condo. And I I called my husband, who had been working all night. I called my parents, my family, my friends. It was a miracle. God had healed me. It's been so freeing to be able to put my shoes on without pain, to turn the shower off using my hand instead of kicking it off with my foot so I wouldn't have to bend over. I can now sit for as long as I want. I can carry my niece again, and on and on. It has been so life changing. I stand before you pain free. God worked a miracle in me. I feel like my pelvis and spine are now aligned again. Looking back, I can honestly say that I'm thankful for the pain. I'm thankful that the pain had increased before the healing took place. I may never have, I may never have gone up for prayer or gone to the meeting if my pain wasn't as intense as it was. Maybe the miracle wouldn't have been as tangible if my pain wasn't as intense. God truly has a plan for everything. So many of you have been so faithful walking with me through this hard time and continually praying for me. So let's rejoice. God has heard our cry. It is truly a miracle. He healed me. Prayer works, and God is still healing people in America in 2006.
0: Three weeks ago, I received a text from Carly. And it read like this. Hi, Mark. Carly Burt here. Ten years ago today, God healed my back. We'll never forget how God used you in our lives that day and throughout that journey, thinking of you guys and sending you both much love. Carly has since, she and her husband have now had to have two beautiful children, would not have been possible without being healed. And she will tell you that there was a purpose for that time of pain. Jesus can heal instantaneously, and, and he does that. At other times, he will set you on the course of healing. It may take time. He may have something he wants to accomplish in our lives along the way. Paul the Apostle prayed three times for God to remove a thorn in the flesh, which was a physical illness. And God said, no, I want to accomplish something through this physical illness. Sometimes it's instant, sometimes it takes time. Maybe it's a relationship that, that takes time to be restored, but God can instantly give both people the desire and will to start over. Maybe it has to do with finances and the will and discipline to work the way out of the mess. The power to deal with a difficult boss in a job. Maybe it's spiritual healing. Maybe it's deliverance from addiction. I know people that have received deliverance from an addiction in an instant, in a moment, and never go back. And I know others that it's taken time over a period of time before they're actually healed and delivered. No matter what it is, the starting point is getting right with God and establishing that relationship with God. It says, seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then those things will be added to you. Those are all miracles. Desperate need, hope, faith, in action. and action. This puts us into contact with the living Jesus, and we are changed. Miracles can change our circumstances, but most often, miracles change us. Our faith contact with Jesus will change us. And we find the last element of the miracle is something called restoration. This woman, back to our story, was noticed by Jesus, so she came forward. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has has healed you. Go in peace. This is the only woman on record that was called daughter by Jesus a beautiful expression of what Jesus is saying you are received into the family again you are restored into relationship restored in health and relationship a miracle can we stop a miracle i want to talk about stopping a miracle very briefly how can we stop a miracle first of all by being unaware the crowd was jostling Jesus. They bumped into him. They touched him, totally unaware of the power avail- available to them. And most people walk through life, people who are church-going people, people who know Jesus and have been walked with him for years, and they are unaware of the blessings and the power that Jesus wants to bestow on them in their life. Or second, unbelief. The mourners at the home of the chi- where the child had died laughed at Jesus, demonstrating unbelief. They didn't believe what Jesus said. And we can either be unaware or we can live in unbelief. And either will keep us from experiencing a miracle. God is the same God. Jesus is the same Lord. And he wants to do miracles today, just like he did in the New Testament. God is a God who wants to intervene on our behalf. Do you believe that? We're going to move into a time of communion. When Jesus died, there are many things that were accomplished. In Isaiah 53, speaking of the Messiah, it says, Surely he took up our infirmities. And carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. As we take communion today. We're going to take some time. No matter what your, your need. We're going to open the altar up. After we've taken the elements. And just take some time as we worship Worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you have a prayer need of anything, you may have somebody in your family that has a need, a physical need, a financial need, a relational need. Or you may have a need yourself. But I want to invite you, after we've had communion, as we're worshiping, to just come up and kneel or stand or whatever. There will be people here to pray for you because we believe that God is a God who works miracles. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you are a God of miracles. And I pray that you will raise our expectancy to expect the supernatural because you are a supernatural God. If the supernatural is not needed, we don't need you. But we acknowledge our desperate need of you, the living God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would raise our awareness and our expectancy, our awareness of our needs and and, and quicken our faith and hope in you that you are the God that works miracles. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The cup he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to stand, if you would. And if you want to come forward for prayer, for healing, for any needs you have, let's just take some time before the Lord as we worship him. Father, we pray that you would just build our faith and our expectancy. That we wouldn't come just expecting the normal thing and the everyday Sunday, but we would come expecting to meet with the living God, to be transformed. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue your work in our lives. And that you would answer these prayers as they've gone up to you. And we're going to thank and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close singing Love the Lord, right? Okay. The song we started with, Love the Lord with all your heart. A song of joy. And let me just encourage everybody that when you come to church on Sunday, that you would come with an expectancy, expect the supernatural to happen. Because when we meet with God and we celebrate him and hear from his word, God does miraculous things. So let's let's join as we sing together love the lord with all your heart